my apartment. My fiance is on the floor with blood everywhere. Oh no! Oh no! Oh my god! She stabbed herself. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Crime Room, a true crime podcast about how homicide detectives catch bad guys. I'm Julian Grace, and I'm Brandon. On tonight's episode of the Crime Room, what happened to Ellen Greenberg? We examine the conflicting evidence, police missteps, and a medical examiner who can't make up his mind. Ellen Greenberg grew up the apple of her parents' eye. They were that close-knit family down the block. Even when Ellen grew up and moved some two hours away from her childhood home to the rough city of Philadelphia, Ellen stayed in regular touch with her folks, Josh and Sandra Greenberg. She was their northern star, but their world turned to dark on January 26, 2011, when Ellen's fiancé, Samuel Goldberg, phoned with the worst news of their lives. Their 27-year-old daughter, had killed herself. Kill herself? The Greenberg couldn't believe it. And well, you will hear for yourself. Believing it is hard. Very hard. Almost impossible, given the fact that she was stabbed 20 times. Some of her stab wounds were in the back, neck, and head. How? And why? The Greenbergs have been asking but no one wants to give them any answers that make sense. In fact, they've been shunned away by the city of Philadelphia. Here is what happened to Ellen Greenberg on tonight's Crime Room podcast. If you like this episode and want to hear more, you can download The Crime Room anywhere you get your podcast from. Visit thecrimeroom.com for exclusive crime news. Don't forget to like and subscribe. It helps The Crime Room grow so we can continue to bring you new and exciting weekly content. Let's talk crime. Let's talk crime. So Ellen Ray Greenberg was a 27-year-old elementary school teacher. She was the daughter of Joshua and Sandra, who goes by Sandy Greenberg. At the time of her death, she was engaged to Sam Goldberg, and they were actively planning their wedding. So let's go back to the night of January 26, 2011. She was at work when a blizzard hit Philadelphia. It caused her to leave work early. And on her way home to go back to the apartment, she actually stopped to get gas, which is important, but we'll discuss it a little bit later. And from what we know after that is through the 911 tapes, is that Sam stated that he went to the apartment gym, which was, he told the police, later told the police around 4.45 p.m. And then when he came back, he noticed that the front door was locked from the inside. With a latch. With the latch. And from from the 911 tapes, he claimed, and he made it a point to say, it was latched from the inside. And in the meantime, he began texting her phone repeatedly. And the texts really stick out to me. Very aggressive texts. More aggressive as opposed to wondering what's going on. So he starts off with, hello, open the door. What are you doing? I'm getting pissed. Hello. You better have an excuse. What the F? You have no idea. I don't know if this is the the text you want to send your fiancé if things are hunky-dory in your relationship. 
even if the door is latched from the inside, wouldn't you be worried that something has happened or maybe just think, oh, she's taking a nap? To me, those text messages read with a very angry voice, especially when he says, you better have an excuse or, or what. Right. Essentially, he's saying you're going to pay for this. Yeah. It also plays to me as he's almost making these things up purposely to sound like he's upset. He also make, make it sound like he is the one who makes the rules in the relationship and she must obey. So it would be interesting if we had the previous text wrote their relationship, at least the last month. However, we're not privy to that at this time as many of the documents and evidence is still sealed. So after approximately 30 minutes, he breaks his way, he breaks the door down with the latch, enters the apartment. What it's very important to point out that there's no witnesses to him breaking the door. This is his statement. I broke the door. The door was locked from the inside. We have no idea right. if that was true. And there's no way to prove it. Either way, he could have went in there and ripped the door open and broke it, or he could have done it some other way. There's no way to prove whether he did it then mm -hmm. or it was already done or he did it purposely from the inside. That's an excellent point. So either way, he claims to have found her with her head resting, her upper body and head resting against some kitchen cabinets. All right, after he finds her, he then calls 911 and he's speaking to the dispatcher. During the conversation, he says, I just walked in on my fiance with blood everywhere. Where? She fell in a knife. Oh no, her knife's sticking out. Oh uh, what? There's a knife sticking out of her heart. Oh, she stabbed herself? I, I guess so. I don't know where she fell on it. I don't know. Okay, well, don't touch it. Okay, so, so I just, just let her down. here now. I mean, what do I do? No, I mean, you can't. If the knife is at her chest, it's going to be kind of hard for you to do CPR at this time. Oh, no. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Police, which operator? 277. Is All someone right, coming here? Yes, they are. You said 4601 Flat Rock, right? Yes. Okay, someone's on the way. And the knife is still inside? Which or what? The knife is still inside of her? Yes, I didn't take it out. Was it her chest or what area? It's, it's, it's in her chest. It's like, it looks like it's right. It looks like it's right in her heart. As he's talking with the dispatch, he says, I can't see anything. He says, nothing is broken. She may have slipped. And as they continue to talk, the dispatcher asks him to perform CPR on her and to remove her shirt. As he's quote unquote removing the shirt, he says it's a zipper and he says, oh my gosh, she stabbed herself. In the heart. Yeah, then he says, almost right after, she fell on a knife. Her knife is still sticking out. So when he first arrives there, he says he can't see what happened to her. There's just blood everywhere. She must have hit her head. She must have slipped and fell. He doesn't know what's going on. When the dispatcher asked him to perform CPR, there's a knife sticking. And according to him, looks right in her heart, and it looks pretty deep. Right. Ten-inch knife. Yeah, later we find out it's a ten-inch ten kitchen knife. Right. He seems he sounded very reluctant to even give her a CPR. Like in the beginning of the phone call, he's upset and, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And then as the call progresses, he slips back into pretty casual conversation. Yeah, I think he didn't want to do CPR. At one point, he's, oh, I guess I have to. Is right. what he says. Right, yeah. 
So it appears that he didn't want to touch her or the knife because he knew only her fingerprints were going to be on it. And or he didn't want to, quote unquote, find the knife. Right. He wanted to say, oh, how did that get there? Uh, he then goes to make it a point to say that it was latched from the inside. And it didn't appear that there was anything missing. He said there was no sign of a break-in at all. In getting off the 911 call, he sounded very almost relieved to be that getting it's off. it's over. It, he doesn't have to. He's told, okay, at this point, the knife has to stay where the knife is. Don't move it. Don't touch her. And he's like, all right. And he ends with, okay, bye. Yes, okay, bye. That's exactly how anybody should end a 911 call. Discovering your fiancé. Ellen was pronounced deceased at 6.40 p.m. There was 20 puncture wounds in total. Approximately 10 in her back, neck, and head area. So it's 10 to the back, 8 to the chest, 1 to the head, and one to the abdomen. Her parents have had tissue and the wounds examined independently. And some of the wounds, it has been discovered that were done post-mortem because there was no bleeding from the wounds. Right, I believe there were two of them. And I think it was it was the ones in the back, which is important because how, you gonna, how do you stab yourself in the back <laughs> after you've died? Not only that, but the one one of the the ones in the back was in her spine and it would have practically paralyzed her right so how would she get the last one to her chest we're but we're getting ahead of ourselves let's rewind a little bit she is pronounced dead when police arrives her body is picked up it's going to be an autopsy is going to be done by the city medical examiner and here is where things begin to take a turn for the worst for Ellen and her parents. Yeah, and uh, so police treat it as a suicide. They say because there was no defensive wounds on her, which could easily be disputed if her hand were held. Or blitz attack. Or blitz attack or something. You Start from her. the back, hit the front. Yeah. I mean, any there's a variety of ways in which she could have been attacked without having if defensive If she was abused, wounds. maybe she was used to it and... She didn't just defend herself. Uh, so there was no suicide note. There was no forced entry from anywhere other than where Sam entered, in which he, quote-unquote, did entering the apartment after 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Apparently there was no sign of a struggle, but as you indicated, a blitz attack is more than plausible. No signs of a rape or sexual assault. Only Ellen's fingerprints on the knife. I don't believe anything was taken from the house. There was no sign of a break-in. So there's only... Really, two causes. Suicide, which is very... Unlikely. Very unlikely. According to her parents, she was so squirmish and disliked pain that she refused to even um, pierce her ears. Um, going right to a, going to a knife 20 times, a pretty drastic jump. 20 times to stab yourself. She was left-handed, and some of the wounds to the back particularly weren't... It's been proven that they can be done if you're left-handed. So somebody right-handedly had to stab you. So that alone contradicts. But here is something that is baffling in this case. The medical examiner says this is a homicide. And in a rare show of contradiction, the cops are saying, no, this is a suicide. 
One of the reasons they're saying it's a suicide is because she was on Ambien and Prozac. And she started to see a therapist and she was diagnosed with acute anxiety. Now, here is the thing. If you develop anxiety, and mind you, her parents say that she never suffered from anxiety. The anxiety, according to them at that point, was because of the wedding planning. But now they're thinking, well, if she was abused, she didn't know how to ask for help. She didn't know how to seek help. She had made comments to her parents that she wanted to move back in with them a month before the wedding. Which is a huge sign. Well, it's a huge sign, yes. You know, many a times when you're arguing with your spouse, you may be thinking something like that, but actually reaching out to your parent and asking to move, in back, move back is a huge step, saying something's not right. Mm -hmm. I, I know I'm supposed to marry this guy, but I need to move back in with you. Yeah. So it, it might have been one of those where you just don't know what to do when you're abused, especially if this is the first time in, in your life somebody is exerting that amount of control of everything that you do. Right, and, and not to forget that there were 10 slash 11 bruises found on her during the aut autopsy that were in various stages of healing. I mean, how do you explain that? So her right arm her abs and her right leg. And it's not like she was a factory worker. She didn't go to construction sites. When, well, you're a police officer. Are this type of bruises indicative of domestic abuse? As I was just meant, it depends on their job. I mean, if you're out there doing construction, you're a factory worker, you're moving, you, you, yeah, sure, you'll get bruises every, every, you know, every once in a while or often depending on your employment. But a school teacher, 10 or 11 bruises in various healing stages of healing, only on her right arm, her abs, and her right leg appear indicative of domestic abuse. Right. Now, it can't be a absolute, but it, it, it's definitely an indication. So there is actually a huge difference in women's suicides versus men's suicide. Women attempt suicide more often than men, but they don't succumb to the injuries or their suicide attempt as much. Women typically use less violent methods such as overdosing and poisoning, but men are the ones who usually and typically use the more violent methods such as gunshots, hangings, and I would claim 20 stab wounds to your to your front and back of your body as violent. So it's kind of, it's definitely out of char characteristic. Not only that, but her therapist saw her only a few days before that and in her file is noted that she is not suicidal she has no thoughts to harm herself and yes ambien and prozac could be associated with some suicidal thoughts in in rare cases they wouldn't make a patient taking those medication violent 20 stab wounds that's violent that's rage that is absolutely with a rage. 10 inch knife so without absent video surveillance if there's video surveillance of somebody self-inflicting themselves 20 times, then I would say, yes, it's a suicide. Absent that, I don't think ruling it a suicide was proper whatsoever. Not only that, but an independent lab tested, like the medical examiner sent a small portion um, to be tested, and they came back and they said, the wound is indicative of being a homicide, and the medical examiner still ruled to match the police department and said it's suicide sorry yeah there's something strange going on there i don't know if they were looking to keep their numbers down or something else was going on behind the scenes but i'm not sure why they would rule it a suicide in, in such a circumstances 
It makes no sense. Absolutely no sense. Well, it didn't make sense for Josh and Sandra, who have been on this crusade to find the truth, get to the bottom of things. They filed two lawsuits against the city of uh, Philadelphia and the police department in 2019. And they have hired experts in the field. And every one of the experts who have looked at the evidence has said, this is a homicide. Right. A violent homicide at that. And it's important to include that Sam has never spoken publicly about this. It's only her parents pushing for all this. Mm -hmm. The truth. The truth. And interestingly enough, so back in 2021, a Philadelphia judge ruled to allow the case to go to civil court. Mm -hmm. One year later is when they reopened. So they closed the case of the suicide. They stopped investigating it. And they refused to. And they refused to, right. So one year later after the civil suit, in 2022, the district attorney announced that it would reopen the investigation. To re-examine it. Right. And I believe the reason for this, and the only reason for this, is they know it was wrong. It appears that they are only doing it to minimize their liability. The only evidence that I see, and I'm not sure if the police even properly looked into it or investigated it, is the fact that Sam did not have any wounds on his body matching that of a knife. Typically with a knife such as a kitchen knife, which doesn't have any protective barrier for your hand, when you are stabbing or doing something in that that motion, you would get some sort of cut or wound on your hand, especially if it was as vigorous as 20 wounds or the front and back. So they do say that some of the wounds were superficial. They were in like full force. Right. But whoever killed her, because this is a murder, this is not a suicide. For 10, 11 years, however many years has been, someone's walking walking around and hasn't justice hasn't come for him yet. I don't know what the police department was thinking and why they decided to rule it suicide. It feels to me the medical examiner, medical examiner felt pressured to change their ruling because homicide makes the only sense. The only sense. And it appears to be a, a passion killing or a he-in-the-moment killing because the person who did it, who could have been Sam, was clearly upset over something. In rage. Maybe she said that she was leaving, she has had enough. Maybe she was moving back in with her parents. That's She definitely made that statement that she wanted that to happen. It doesn't sound like they were particularly happy or she wasn't particularly happy. It sounded more as though she was starting to be afraid and maybe she was starting to be brave and trying to get some power back. Right. Some of her freedom back. And abusers, domestic abusers, usually don't take very well when you want your independence, when you want to walk away. You know, they thrive on control and when that control is they're no longer in control then they would escalate from verbal abuse to physical abuse it appears that there was already physical abuse and it wasn't working so he he escalated more and more eventually resulted in him killing her just going back to that 911 tape he's there before he even looks around he he says none of her bones are broken but he doesn't know what's going on he doesn't know how she's hurt Mm-hmm. How does he know there's no bones broken? You go back to, was there a break-in? No, none at all. How does he know? She fell on the knife. 
Yeah, she, it just how none of it makes sense. How do you fall on a knife and impel it in your chest? It appears that he's trying to create a story. Controlled yeah, narrative. in part on the dispatcher, the police. Hey, this is self-inflicted. She did this. She may have fell. Absolve oh, she stabbed himself herself. Yes, of any wrongdoing. He he is it. The phone call has that feel of him controlling the narrative, already planting the seed of, I didn't do anything wrong. This is not on me. I'm this innocent person, very worried about my fiance. In fact, I'm the hero. I broke down the door. I was ready to face danger and save her. Oh, but by the way, do I have to perform CPR? <laughs> right, right. I, I guess I have to. <laughs> right. Um, are you coming? He repeatedly, repeatedly is asking if they're on their way and how far away they are and whatnot. I'm I'm okay with the mask and how far away they are, but the manner in which he was doing it was not, in my opinion, appropriate. Maybe rehearsed. Yes, more I, monotone than anything else. I still can't get over the fact that you don't see a 10-inch knife kitchen knife sticking out of your loved one's chest no it doesn't make make any sense no sense that's that's the big kicker here because if when we when you listen to the call the dispatcher asked him twice if not three times is she laying flat on her back and he says yes at that point yeah how do you not see a knife you have to see the knife sticking out and he doesn't oh i can't take her zipper She's wearing a shirt with a zipper, and I can't take it off. Oh, wait, there's a knife in her heart. Right, and the knife would have had to have been on the outside. We don't have photos of the mm -hmm. incident, but it would have had to have been on the outside of the shirt because it wouldn't be possible to have all these wounds within the shirt and then dress yourself after. It was a bloody crime scene. Yes. Ellen Grimberg lost her life senselessly. And in my opinion, and that's my my own opinion, her killer walked away scotch-free. That is also my opinion. But I think he, and I do believe it to be Sam, with the information presented to us, I, I, I fully believe it, it to be Sam at this point. I don't see any other plausible explanation. What do you think? Share your opinion, thoughts, and comments with us. You list them down below in the comment section. You can always head out to our website, theprimeroom.com, and leave us a comment there too. We like hearing from you. Join the conversation. Thanks for listening to tonight's episode of The Crime Room. What happened to Ellen Greenberg? Till the next time.